Now, we continue with Mile High Magazine. Here's your host, Murphy Houston. And welcome in. It's another edition of Mile High Magazine. Happy Sunday, everybody. I am Murphy Houston. Interesting topic today. We're going to talk about pro athletes, about men, about eating disorders, about athletes, how this all comes together. And I know when I started getting this information, I was somewhat startled to think that, you know, big-time athletes, and we have a couple of big-timers right with us now today, have that kind of situation. I mean, I had a daughter go through that. There was an eating disorder. You would think it's more obvious with young ladies, but pro athletes, guys that are trying to make teams, I guess, makes a difference. So today we have uh, lots of special guests. We have Dr. Steve Prince, Medical Director of Eating Disorder Services at Eating Recovery Center and Insight Behavioral Health Center. Thanks for having me. Can I call you Steve, or do I have to Please, bow down? No. I mean, you're a doctor. No, no bowing down. <laughs> call me Steve. <laughs> and we have Patrick Devaney, former college football player at CU Boulder and the Seattle Seahawks. Patrick, thanks for coming in. Thank you very much. Appreciate you having us. And uh, Mike Marjama, did I say that right, Mike? Yeah, it's Marjama, unless you're Marjama. from the South, and it's Marjama. <laughs> Is it really? Anyway, catcher for the Seattle Mariners, uh, currently an ambassador for the National Eating Disorder Association. Thank you all for coming in. And, Doc, let's just jump right to it. Talk about an eating disorder. What is – it's more than what we think it is, isn't it? It it sure is. There's a lot of components to eating disorders. So I I think first what we need to think about are eating disorders are disordered eating behaviors. And if you think about disordered eating behaviors connected to – interfering with day-to-day responsibilities, interfering with relationships, uh, interfering with your health, then we say, oh, that's really disordered. And with that, we look at there's a whole bunch of comorbid conditions that occur with eating disorders. So it's unusual just to have an eating disorder. So we see you know, more emotional kind of concerns like depression, anxiety, uh, disorders, obsessive-compulsive disorders uh, with the eating disorders as well. So most common eating disorders are anorexia nervosa, which is really when someone restricts their caloric intake and they view their body as being out of proportion, um, when in reality they may be very thin, but they perceive themselves as being very heavy. There's bulimia nervosa, which is really an eating disorder which involves binging and purging. Uh, Binging behavior is when someone eats out of control, eats rapidly, eats alone, feels very ashamed or embarrassed about their eating. And then that's often followed by some undoing type of behavior, which we call purging. Most people think of purging as vomiting, but purging could be using laxatives, diuretics, water pills. It could be over-exercising as a means of losing weight. Um, So that's bulimia. And then there's now many other disorders as well. So there's binge eating disorder, and this involves eating out of control, eating secretively, eating larger amounts of food at one setting, but it doesn't have that compensatory undoing type of behavior like bulimia nervosa. With athletes, there's orthorexia, where really a focus is on just eating very healthily, eating healthy foods to the point where it really interferes with one's function uh, because the whole focus is just on health. Um, There's even uh, uh, diabulimia, which you may have a diabetic that actually will alter their insulin concentrations as a means of losing weight. So lots of different types of eating disorders. Well, I guess. Who knew that? And not a good thing. And you're saying some issues that you have can lead to these eating disorders. Correct. And your brain starts playing, playing tricks on you? I mean, is that how that works? Well, we think that these disorders are biological, psychological, and social 
in origin. So we think that there's some biochemical, biologic changes that occur in the brain. There's certain neurochemicals that may not be working as appropriately with an eating disorder. If there's a dysregulation of a protein in the brain called serotonin, it often leads to obsessive compulsive behaviors. It often leads to eating disorder behaviors, uh, anxiety and depression. But there's also lots of psychological and social factors that go into an eating disorder as well. In our culture right now, there's a huge emphasis on thinness, and thinness is being associated with success and happiness. And so there's a big pressure, big uh, social push uh, for people to maintain uh, their weights. With athletes, there's lots of different you know, pressures as well. So you think about an athlete being in an environment. Right, you would. Right, where they're just, they have to be perfect at what they do. Right. There's a huge strive. right. right. So, uh, so athletes have some different kinds of, you know, pressures as well uh, uh, that contribute to their eating disorder. Um, it, usually, that whole mentality of perfectionism, striving to be the best, um, meaning that you need to work out even more, meaning that uh, you're constantly assessing your ability. Uh, against others, which leads to that perfectionism, which feeds right into the eating disorder. I can never be as good as I uh, right, really want right, to be right. uh, kind of attitude. Um, so uh, yeah, lots of different components uh, uh, really with athletes. Um, I, risk factors occur with eating disorders, and then we take a look at with athletes even more so. So in general, you know, risk factors that we may look at, like how would you identify someone that may, you know, be having an eating disorder? I mean, what we start to see is that the body physiologically starts to slow down to protect itself if we're not getting appropriate nutrition. So we start to have decrease in our hormonal production, um, our thyroid gland, that gland in the neck doesn't produce as much hormones, and this leads to hair thinning, Nails breaking more easily, dry skin, cold skin, slow heart rate, feeling lightheaded and dizzy. So if someone has some of those characteristics, we start to think, well, maybe something's going on with their nutrition. Um, And then if one's not eating as well, I just think about if we skip meals or don't get an appropriate nutrition, we get irritable. And um, so we start to see behavioral changes. Um, One isolates and withdraws more. One becomes more irritable. Um, there's higher incidence of depression, anxiety disorders. Um, always feeling that I need to perform and and be on because they do. Yeah, they do. I yeah. mean, I, yeah, these guys uh, uh, tremendous the pressures uh, uh, that uh, you know goes on. And coaches um, are, are just starting to get more training and understanding about uh, eating disorders. So what we know. Um, is that with even collegiate coaches, there's a big survey on collegiate coaches that maybe about 50% of coaches really start to identify that, hey, if you know my athlete's not uh, functioning as well, uh, here's some physical things, that maybe I should get some assistance or helper look into this. So especially occurs with females. We see a, a high incidence of amenorrhea with males, um, testosterone levels start to drop. So we see higher instances of osteopenia, like weakness of the bones, and uh, even uh, you know some more destruction of the bones, osteoporosis, uh, which could interfere with one's you know functioning as an athlete. Um, so uh, 
So coaches are just starting to I, I, be aware. Yeah, be more aware, which right. is a, a phenomenal thing. Right. Uh, and, and you know, when they interview these coaches, they say really more than half of them haven't had training in identifying eating disorders. Sure. sure. And um, that usually they would refer. Uh, you know, to the the athletic trainer, not necessarily to professionals. Uh, right away, they often try and keep it within uh, the university setting, um, and so I mean, a lot more awareness just needs to occur, uh, you know, with coaches and uh, on the collegiate collegiate level, and then also on the professional right. level. And when that's a good point. When does that start? Does it start? Should parents be aware of their athlete in high school? Uh, college, obviously, but yeah. what about high school? What about junior high? I mean, you get some yeah. athletes and get some parents that are pushing them, pushing them to be great. And do these that pressure on these male and female athletes cause them to start these eating situations? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the age range for eating disorders really we see most eating disorders, disorder patients identified in their teens and uh, into early twenties. Um, eating disorders in uh, adolescence, it's the third most chronic illness. Uh, you know, so we see asthma, obesity, actually, and then uh, different eating disorder behaviors. So, yes, I mean, I think we need to be cognizant and aware. Like, if my child is all of a sudden not socially engaging with others as well, they don't want to go to events where there's food uh, or social events where kids are at a party where there may be a pizza served or. Um, and then you think about, you know, some of the, the stressors, uh, that these young athletes have, uh, to be the very best, um, men, you know, often they have, um, some muscle, uh, dysmorphia. They, they, they want to bulk up and be sure. strong. And, sure. and so that leads to eating certain ways and to, um, decreasing, really taking care of themselves. Um, certain sports, uh, the track teams, uh, gymnasts, the swimmers, you know, you want to have a, a, a certain body weight. Wrestlers have some of the highest incidence of eating disorders oh, in high school. They do. Because they got to drop weights, I you know, know, to be in a certain weight category. So, um, so yeah, I think we need to be, uh, you know, aware of these, uh, you know, signs and what are we doing to our kids, you know, pushing them and expecting the young child that, I mean, I know we got some phenomenal athletes here that, you know, share their stories, but the young child that actually starts out um, in one sport and the whole emphasis is just to learn that one sport and to become a superstar, a superstar in that sport. That child has a higher instance of becoming an eating disorder because so much of their self-esteem and self-worth just tied into that Sports. one. Yeah. And the parents push. Yeah. I remember when my son played football over here at Cherry Creek, and he would bulk up. And I'm sure you guys are going to talk to here can identify that. But then when football was over, he wrestled. So he went from one extreme to the other extreme. Yeah. Scared me half to death. And yeah. We, you know, the doctors would come and do the medicals and all this is okay. He's doing fine. I'm saying, wait a minute. He's trying to drop 30 pounds in, what, six weeks when you go from one season to another? Thank goodness he's healthy, but it was a frightening experience. Yeah, absolutely, and that leads to cardiac problems, to uh, you know other medical concerns uh, within the body. One gets yeah. dehydrated, lightheaded, dizzy. There are electrolytes, uh, these positively and negatively yeah. charged particles in our body that we need for muscles that are not working well, and 
So pretty dangerous. It is pretty dangerous. That's Dr. Steve Prince, Medical Director of Eating Disorder Services at Eating Recovery Center and Insight Behavioral Health. Let's talk to the athletes and see what they went through. And Mike is over there working on his phone a little bit. Oh, my God. (laughs) Used to catch with the Seattle Mariners, currently an ambassador for the National Eating Disorder Association. So maybe, Mike, you can talk about your experiences, what you've had to handle, any advice you have for our young athletes now. Yeah, I think it's when we start talking about eating disorders, we think of really the severely emaciated um, a female. And I think that, you know, both Patrick and I are not female. So it's, you know, it, you know, just being a male, it's very, uh, we don't associate with that. And there's a Absolutely. stigma and it's very emasculating, right? So right. we know through the National Eating Disorder Association that over 30 million Americans at some point in their life will struggle with an eating disorder. Of those 30 million, there will be 10 million of them will be men. That's one in three. And that's striking for a lot of people to hear. And the hardest part is that the numbers are not as real as we like to think they are. And the reason I say that is because when I came out about my eating disorder and being in the big leagues, it's granted me with a tremendous platform. Um, to actually have a, a voice that that can be heard and yeah. I have people that reach out to me on Instagram or Twitter or any of the social uh, media sites and they pretty much just say hey I've had this for 20 30 40 years and I haven't been able to say anything I haven't had the courage I felt uh, stigmatized emasculated if I were to say anything and that just for me goes to show I would say that's clinically significant enough of an eating disorder um, but there is a stigma and there's an association with mental illness that has often been um, portrayed as if you have something wrong, maybe mentally, that we're going to put you in a straight jacket and throw you in a room with padded walls, right? Like yeah. That's what we yeah. often see in maybe a movie, but we know that's often not the case. Not the case at all. Uh, Mike, how old were you when you discovered it? There's something going on here. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, i give you a little bit of my story. This was right. uh, elementary school. Uh, recess comes along, and we're starting to mature as, as young men and women, and I remember being on the playground, and it was like, I would love to play tag. And it was, you always want to get tagged by the cute girl, and you wanted to tag the cute girl, (laughs) and that wasn't me. And I wasn't the guy getting tagged. So I said, you know what? I wonder how this is going to work. And you graduate a little bit, and that negative self-body image started to carry into junior high school. And Abercrombie was big back then. I don't know if anyone remember Abercrombie, but there's the models with their shirts off on these bags, and all the girls would fantasize about these guys. And I rationalized in my head, if I can look like that... Problem solved. I'm getting a girlfriend. And so I would say if I didn't eat anything, I wouldn't get fat. And if I worked out a ton, I would get big and strong. Wow. Then as you grew older, you continued that mental path? Yeah. So I got into wrestling. So we you yeah. know, briefly talked about wrestling. Yes. I got cut from a basketball team because apparently dribbling with your head down is not a good thing. <laughs> uh, so I wasn't very good. I was never the right player. I was never really any good. Um, I couldn't pass the ball ever because I couldn't see anybody that was open. And uh, so I got, I got one of my friends said, hey, why don't you come wrestle? You're a hard worker. I've always been a hard worker, very type A. I've liked to just be in control. So I said, you know, okay, let's do it. But I learned new ways to cut weight. And that's really when it started to spiral. So this negative self body image was really enhanced by the ways that I learned to cut weight through wrestling. Did, were your parents aware? So my mom is a NP OBGYN. So she's a provider. I also have a father that's a, as a teacher. So they were very much aware of what was going on. But I think oftentimes parents think, Oh, we'll just grow out of it. Or these traits are there, but uh, I don't think it's going to be that big of a deal. He's just going through a spurt. Oh. And then it starts to spiral. And then we say things, and this is where we know that, you know, 
95% of all dieters, and we know diets are such a huge part of our culture and people trying to True. find the quick fix. And True. I think, you know, with athletes, it's the same thing. But we know that 95% of all dieters within the first five years will regain all of their weight and actually add more weight. So we know that diets are pretty much the number one predictor of an eating disorder is extreme dieting. And, and I'll say this. Back in the day, it was the Atkins diet and then the South Beach yes, diet, yes. right? And carbs, the enemy. Right. You know, and just like we had talked about before is you start avoiding social functions. When you hear someone, hey, we're going to go to Italian food tonight. And you're like, oh, my gosh, that means pasta and bread and carbs. And then you're ingrained with carbs of the enemy. And so as an athlete, we know that you need that as fuel. That is a tremendous support system for your body to have fuel right, when you right. perform. And so the more education I did inside of what I needed to perform, it really helped me. And I, I credit sports psychology as well. So when you make the transition, you wrestled, you played baseball, obviously a, a baseball major level, major league player. Was it still affecting you when you were playing for Seattle? No, no. So I've been recovered for, for quite a long time, but I will say there there are traits that are commonly associated. So we'll, it's hard to say that eating disorders are genetic. We're looking into more research that are saying they are genetic, but they're very much the traits. So the perfectionism, the obsessive compulsiveness, the traits that we would see. And so my parents always talk about it. When I was younger, I was the kid that would always have this high energy and be go, go, go. Right. I'd pick my butt up and wiggle it around and shake and shake. Mm. And you could see the signs and getting into little league and organizing people and being very creative. These are all things that kind of consumed me. So the signs were always there. These traits will always be there. And for me, it's, we all struggle with something in our life. And the way that I coped with mine wasn't with alcohol, wasn't with, um, you know, supplementation, wasn't with drugs. It was with not eating. And that was my control fix. So we all have problems at some point in our right. life. It's how we address those problems. Do we choose the educated healthy route or do we go down the unhealthy route? And so for me, it was consciously making decisions day in, day out to make the healthy choice. So, Mike, when you're playing with these uh, ballplayers at the highest level you can ever play, were there everybody on that? Were there just yeah. a handful of guys or all you saw all the guys doing it? <laughs> well, let me ask you something here. <laughs> if our athletes don't look like the Spartans from 300, <laughs> are they at a disadvantage? Well, I, people think they might be. Yeah. People think they might the be, but I can tell you. Yeah. I can tell you. I've personally showered with a lot of people well, in the big league, a lot of people <laughs> throughout my career, elite, elite athletes. Very rarely do they have visible six packs. Very rarely do they have extreme, um, you know, really extreme low body fat because it's. We always have an expression like you can't pull fat, right? But you can. You you will pull muscles. So, so as an athlete, you have to have a certain layer to it because that is what keeps you healthy. So for me, is I've had many people reach out, and this is where I've been very blessed. Is my platform and my reach has allowed other major uh, people in the NFL, NBA, MLB to say, look, I've struggled with this at some right, point in my life. Right. And I believe it's huge that Major League Baseball, the NFL, the NBA, they are all taking great measures to not only bring in people to help players with nutrition, but they're also bringing in many support systems in terms of sports psychology, uh, mental health people to say, look, in baseball, you fail seven out of 10 times, right? Right. You're hitting 300. All right. That's a pretty dang good year. Uh, you'd be happy with that. You, I, <laughs> I, it was very rare in my career that I did that. That's probably why they switched me to catcher. But, um, you know, for me, it was, you're failing seven out of 10 times. How do you deal with that failure? Do you turn to the bottle? Do you turn to the substance? Do you turn to the depression, anxiety? Yeah. Do you turn to the eating disorder? What do you turn to? We all have something different, but it's how you cope with those things. Good job. And you're feeling good about it, and you're helping athletes now, which is wonderful, wonderful Absolutely. thing. And, and, Doctor, you probably hear these stories that Mike was just relating to us quite often. 
Yeah, he absolutely. I mean, Mike's a, such a great example. You know, I mean, the, the stigma with males and, and getting help, you know, and, and, and thinking, you know, part of the stigma is that, hey, these disorders, as Mike said, are really disorders of females. There's a feminine component to it. Um, men are not able to be as vulnerable and seek out help. It's not socially accepted as oh, much. Oh, it's not. I, yeah, especially if you're an athlete. Oh, yeah. I, don't, I don't need help. Well, as a man, too, yeah. if you think about it this way, as a man, he's a hard worker. He's a hard worker, Usually right? He's, he's busting his butt. Yeah, yeah, right. He is a hard worker. But we know that you can take that to extremes. So at what point does that draw the line, right? Anything good can be taken to extreme where oh, it starts it becoming detrimental. Yeah, it does. Right? So you yeah. can work your butt yeah. off, but if you're constantly living in a state of stress, you're going to suffer health-wise, right? So we there's there's a balance. We always love hard workers, but where does that line get drawn? Well, I don't know. Let's ask uh, our other guests Let's and see it. what was drawn for him. <laughs> Let's uh, get Patrick Devaney here, former college uh, superstar up at CU Boulder, played for the Seattle Seahawks. Pat. Thanks for coming in. Thank you very much. Share your story like Mike did. Let's hear what your path was. Yeah, so I think mine actually was a little bit different compared to Mike. Mine uh, really triggered in college. And so I'll take a step back. I think it's always been a part of my life, um, eating disorders and that kind of ideal body image and trying to perform at a certain level. But it really took off when I started demonizing foods in college and I did have those pressures of being in the locker room and seeing a lot of these guys. I think statistically, if you look at NFL Combine over the last five years, um, we actually have a slide on this on a presentation, but it's most of the guys, I think it's 80% of the guys now are coming in at 15% body fat or less. Wow. So, and if you think about that from the athletic standpoint, that's visible abs, about 12%, 10%, all that kind of stuff. So you're consistently around that. And, in my career, kind of always being a borderline guy, trying to make to the next level, have these opportunities, I had to do whatever I could to get to that level. And it really took off for me when I lost my identity post-football was the only thing in my life that I could control was my aesthetic and physique and whatnot. And that's where dieting and the cycling and all this other stuff came in. Um, and I think the hard part of a lot of what I've heard today is you, you, I try to identify and try to educate the coaches um, about eating disorders, whether it's at high school, college, NFL. However, those coaches are ex-athletes, right? And yeah, so the, they are. The hardest part about this is trying to eating disorders and this mental health awareness is across the board um, normalized. So the biggest thing for me when I was trying to, one, become an advocate, but also realize that there was an issue was relieving that stress of knowing I'm not alone. Like there is categorically categorically something going on here as opposed to this isolation and these crazy thoughts that I'm having and things that I'm doing, which in sports are so common. I would think, uh, Pat, that at the same time you're learning this experience about what was going on, so are the coaches. Because like you said, they were players. Nobody told them any different at the time when they grew up through sports, right? That's it. That's where that's the hardest part is you are – I people always ask me, like, how can you identify eating disorders? And it truly, for me, go, st- go to your local 24-hour fitness and stand by the dumbbell rack for three minutes, and you'll hear somebody's cutting calories, somebody's cutting, eliminating sugar, this and that. That is the norm in today and in society and sports that not only are you trying to educate the issue, but you're really trying to change what is standard in especially high-performing athletes. So did you think it affected your career, your football playing, having these eating situations? Did it enhance it? Did it make it worse? Oh, I definitely think, <laughs> I definitely think it made it worse. Um, 
especially when you're cycling in the way that I did. Um, I, I went through very much the paleo meets intermittent fasting. So I was fasting for a certain amount of times during the day. Um, energy levels. I think the biggest thing was my energy level was always so low. I couldn't have enough caffeine. Um, testosterone was tanking all these things that just seemed like it was a normal, everyone's going through it. No one's really talking about it. Um, but had I have had balance in my life, what that would have from a dietary standpoint, from every standpoint, what that would have done athletically for me to eliminate a lot of those stressors. Well, and you were surrounded by other players doing the same thing, maybe a different way, but the same thing. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, Mike said it is, I think they say, uh, one in three males can be clinically diagnosed. And I think in football, and I can only attest to football because that was my sport, but, and I'll save myself here, but I truly think it's about 90% of the guys have some form of disordered eating. Truly think it's actually about a hundred percent, but just to cover myself there, um, everybody's on, everyone's on the kick. And there's, when you're dangling a contract in front of a guy worth $50 million, you're going to go to the extremes to achieve that sort of financial success, whether it's ego, whatever it is, um, that, yeah, it's, it is so commonplace. So what do you tell parents that are listening now? What, what, it, cause you know, it starts young. I'm sure it's the doctor alluded to. And we, and we talked to Mike a little bit about that. What do you, what do you say? I mean, what do you look out for is my high school superstar who's maybe getting a big time scholarship to a, you know, a Pac-12 school, what am I looking for? Because he seems fine to me. That's, I mean, and that's the, that's the hardest part, right? Is people always ask, like, how, what would you solve? What would you change? And I think at that athletic performance of what you have to achieve, I don't know how you reach that level without developing some sort of eating disorder. I think um, you need to, at some point, monitor what you're eating. You can't go out and just consume whatever. Um, but I think... What needs to happen first and foremost is raising awareness that it's okay to talk about those stressors and not like for Mike and myself, I didn't turn to drugs, I didn't turn to alcohol, but it was food was my vice. Sure. And if I could have instead taken the step back and just process whatever that anxiety was building, because <laughs> admittedly we're OCD, perfectionist, blah, 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 and being able to handle those stressors in the appropriate way, maybe then you're not going to cycle into eating disorders. Well, you look pretty good now, and I'm glad you're on the bandwagon helping other athletes out at this point. I appreciate it. And maybe some of these dietitians and counselors or whatever should start working with athletes at a a younger age, maybe not college, maybe not professional level. How about high school? Yeah, and I would say we focus so much on our athletes physically, right? So right. our and that's I think something we need to do better on as coaches is like working with young kids is not worry so much about we want to ingrain physicality, physicality, physicality. We want we want a bigger, faster, stronger, and that's great. But if we don't help them in terms of mental skills to cope with the failures, if you're a quarterback, right, and you you miss two passes and you miss a wide open receiver and if you have if you've trained them mentally enough to say it's okay like on to the next play let's be in the present moment now now you're going to have that translate not only into the game to where now they're not three plays behind because they're already they're worried about the incomplete pass or the ball they swung at in the dirt now they're on to the next pitch they're able to make the adjustment it's the same thing in life and those skills translate over a lot longer than being an athlete like that mike that's a really good point and, Doc, before we run out of time here, what advice would you give someone right now who might have an eating disorder or they might think they have a child that has this or they know of somebody that has this? What do you tell them? Yeah, I, I think both Mike and Patrick said this very well. I think um, what I would do is I'd say, hey, you know, let's, as a parent, um, I'm going to start watching 
uh, my child's development a little bit more closely, especially when it comes to perfectionism and athletics and uh, all the social and, and uh, internal pressure in the family and the school to perform well, to be cognizant to, that these uh, behaviors can manifest uh, some of these pressures in an eating disorder. With that said, I mean, I think really Mike said this very well, is um, if we could value somebody outside of their performance in athletics and uh, scholarly fashion, let's develop this person as a whole. You know, uh, does someone have uh, value in desires that they uh, acquire, whether it be art or socially connecting with people or uh, whatever they enjoy, that we need to really not just focus in on one specific area for their value. Athletes that don't develop eating disorders often will say that they have coaches that actually took a personal interest in them and not just their athletic performance, but really who they are and, you know, what sort of drives them. And and so I, I, I think that be cognizant, look for warning signs, look for if your child's withdrawing, isolating, becoming more depressed, more anxious, look for if your child's not going to social functions uh, because it may involve food, and uh, and then have a nice dialogue, and then seek out help. I mean, I, um, whether that be a school nurse or a school counselor, whether that be some adult that you trust and uh, you know have some faith in, maybe they give some advice, and we say seek out professional help because that's when you could really get a thorough assessment and sort of figure out what needs to happen. Good advice right there, Doc. Thank you for coming in today. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Dr. Steve Prince, Medical Director of Eating Disorder Services at Inside Behavioral Health Center. Uh, Pat, thank you. Pat Devaney, thanks for coming in. Thank you. And Big Mike, very dynamic. I like it. Uh, I remember you playing baseball, so I'm... <laughs> oh, gosh. Hopefully nothing but the good things, huh? <laughs> I, wonder, I wonder if I have your baseball card. <laughs> I might have that. We'll have to send over a bat or a ball for having us in. I appreciate having us in here. Well, I appreciate you all coming in here, and uh, hopefully if you're out there with an athlete, and not just a female athlete, because you hear about that more dominantly than male athletes, now you know it's out there. Be aware is all we can say. And thank you for listening. It's Mile High Magazine. I am Murphy Houston. We appreciate you being here today, and we'll touch base with you again next week.